Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is June the 16th, 2021, and the LSAT Life podcast series continues along with Keith Seiska in Texas and Jake Feldman in New York. And this past week, a lot of students have been taking the LSAT, so it's been an important week in their lives. Stressful. Very stressful, and a lot of people, therefore, have had interaction with something called ProctorU, (laughs) which has generated a great deal of discussion in the LSAT study group, hence the topic of our discussion today. Welcome, Keith. Welcome, Jake. How are you today? Good. Thanks, John. I'm doing well. Thank you. So you read the you read the comments on the group. How do you interpret them? What's happening? I mean, I think a lot of things are happening. I, I, I over the course of the last year, it's become increasingly clear that there is an inconsistency with which the LSAT is administered. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the way that uh, LSAC and the test takers and Proctor U are interacting with each other. Um, and it's very, very hard to hold LSAC and Proctor U accountable for a consistent administration when we're doing so on a case by case basis, when there are so many different factors at play. Um, and obviously, squeaky wheels are going to be squeaking. And so those who have negative experiences are going to be the ones we hear about the most. Um, But the volume of negative experience (laughs) is high enough that it's really concerning. So the squeaks are getting more squeaky is what you're saying. More squeaks. Sustained dissatisfaction with, you know, with the moves that LSAC has made is how I would describe the last couple years. Could we uh, just pause for a second here? And could one of you just sort of take us through how the Proctor U experience is supposed to work and how it came about and all that stuff first? You know, I've worked with this from the other end as a professor who's had a class that had to use Proctor U. And I'll say that even from the professor end, I found it to be uh, difficult it was an extra layer of bureaucracy on top of my usual final exam and grading process at the end of the semester. I had to make an account with ProctorU. I had to make appointments with ProctorU. I had to have people from ProctorU take over my computer and do certain things to prepare for the official event. And, uh, and so this was long before COVID and the, uh, and, and long before the LSAT was using ProctorU. And so I found the service to be difficult and complicated. And I'm sure that that's been exacerbated by the, the increase in volume that they've experienced during the, the pandemic. What do you know about it, Jake? What do your students say about working with ProctorU? I mean, look, it's much the same. And, and I think we have, we have a lot of issues on a lot of vaccines, right? <laughs> Fundamentally, what we've got are people across the screen who are trying to interact with you in a, in a high stress environment and a high stress moment uh, who don't have the same investment in what's happening that you do. Uh, and so um, there's a disconnect there. And so having sort of the, the personal relationship of the proctor in the room makes things a little easier at a distance. This becomes very fraught. 
And I've had, you know, students react to it in different ways. Um, you know, those who have been very passive and just sort of roll with everything that happens and worry about it after the fact. I had another student who said that she took five minutes right at the beginning of her experience with her proctor and ran them through all the ways in which they were and were not going to interact with her. And if that, if any of those um, borders were breached, that she was going to go right to the top and report everything and hold them accountable for everything and, and, and everything in between. Um, but ultimately, we're slave to a lot of things out of our control, which is not a good way to invest in something that's supposed to be as, as significant as, as taking the test in the moment that you're taking it. And some of these problems have always existed. It's not as if there were no difficult proctors before uh, the pandemic. But what Jake and I were discussing is that in the old scenario, you could get a whole classroom of people to agree that the proctor had been improper. 30 people would report to LSAC, the proctor did this and it screwed me up. But now it's one person at a time saying the proctor messed up and it's that person's account versus the proctor's account. And the only satisfaction that LSAC can offer is, well, we'll let you take the test again in three months yep. or you know, whenever it's offered the, the next time. And it isn't satisfaction to a student who's prepped and prepared for that day. It doesn't make them happy at all to think I'm gonna study for three more months and do it again, great. And it might go just as poorly and that might not be the end of my journey. Yeah. And look, you know, the, the nascence of all of this comes prior to the pandemic, right? They had planned to go digital. The other tests had already been digital. Um, GRE and GMAT had, had gone that route already, but they MCAT were administering and MCAT. And they were, they were administering their, their, um, their tests at testing centers where you went in and there was a bank of computers and you would go there and you would sit down and it was highly regulated and all of the equipment worked. They knew it worked. They had redundancy and accountability for all of that equipment. And there was a proctor there or there were multiple proctors there, but they weren't watching you in particular, they were watching the testing center. And so that was LSAC's plan um, until such time as the pandemic hit and suddenly everything flip-flopped. But this same system, they attempted to roll out with, with the AP exams uh, and the intention had been SAT and ACT. And they just simply couldn't handle the volume. The proctors were poorly trained. Um, they, they weren't up on, on all the rules, on all the accommodations that all the students had. And the biggest problem was that there was an equipment issue, right? That, that a, a, a student's particular computer and particular browser and particular you know, processor performance had everything to do with whether or not the proctor had sufficient control over what was happening. Um, and the first couple of attempts with the APs were an absolute disaster. They had to throw everything out. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it. I think they had their 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 eyes on a on a really attractive prize, but they bit off way more than they could chew in this. And then facing facing the backlash of having a lot of people with deep satis deep dissatisfaction about what's happening and whether or not they feel like they were given a fair shake in the moment. You know what I find interesting about this? I was making a timeline to prep for today's discussion. And our timeline starts in 1991 when the modern scale of the LSAT began. And then we have nothing on the timeline until June of 2019. And from June of 2019 until now, a whole flurry of activity that has 
upset the apple cart at LSAC. They tried to unroll the digital test in 2019, and it was plagued with problems. Problems that I don't remember the MCAT having. I mean, whatever, whatever plan they had in place for the digital rollout didn't go smoothly. Then the following year, we have, uh, well, that same year in, in 2019, they had to settle the lawsuit involving the, the discrimination against blind people. And then the following year, the pandemic hits and all of their plans for the in-person digital rollout have, you know, go out the window and they're forced to transition to the online flex exam. And now I think they may be running out of experimental questions because in August of this year, they're going to add an experimental question back to the test. So major, major shifts, several of them in the past two years, after no changes whatsoever in 28 years of the exam, it seems to me like the difficulties are predicated on 28 years of no change. Everyone's focusing on these recent shifts, but had they been continuously updating the technology for 28 years, we wouldn't have four recent seismic shifts in the last two years. We'd have one, whatever they had to do to account for the pandemic, not all of these other changes occurring as well. Well, it seems to me that, that LSAT is, LSAC is an extremely conservative organization that operates primarily in reactive mode. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, and, and I don't think they're alone in that. You know, the SAT was the same for a long time. You know, there were 20 years from the early 70s to the, to the mid 90s when after they sort of dealt with the accusations of, of a lack of, of reliability on the test and they sort of accounted for some content changes, that there were no changes. And then in the mid nineties, they did a shifting of the scale. And that was really all they did for 30 years until they got to 2005, right? They recentered the scale in, I think it was 94. Uh, and then, they, then again, they went another decade before finally in 2005, they, try, they tried to fix things because they realized that they were struggling with, with validity markers, that the University of California was basically saying, ah, we don't really like your test. We don't think it tells us anything. And they tried to fix that because that accounted for 10% of their business. Uh, and they've gone through enormous turmoil in the last 16 years from 2005 to the present trying to fix whatever's going wrong with their test because they spent so long not doing anything, not keeping it updated. So, you know, I, I think LSAT's going through the same thing. Um, you know, and I think technology is going to be a big part of this. Now, do, do I think having people take their LSAT at home is the right way for people to take the LSAT? I don't know. I, I think that's a, that's a larger philosophical question. Do I think people should be taking an LSAT on a screen rather than on paper? I had my druthers, I'd have them take it on paper. But that's, again, that's a broader philosophical question. Um, the fact that those things are necessities at this point, or at least conveniences that the modern world demands, fine. But then we can't simply roll it out and then fix the problems on the back end. And that's, you know, that was the, the, the situation that we forced everybody into. We needed to do it. They felt like they needed a test because they couldn't accept law students without it. And they weren't willing to give up their their um, their market share to GRE, who had already sort of figured this part of things out. So they had to come up with something quick, and this is what they came up with, and it's deeply imperfect. 
You know, I oh. see an analogy here between the two stories that you alluded to. The pressure on the SAT by the ACT is similar yeah. to the pressure uh, that the GRE is exerting on the LSAT. The LSAT remained somewhat static over a large period of time. And then there was the potential for the GRE to, uh, you know, to take some of the, the market share from the LSAT. And so they responded to that in, in by taking the way that the SAT did by making a drastic pivot in the, you know, at, at one point in time. Yeah, but God, they better learn. They better learn from that story because remember, in two thousand five, when the SAT made that shift, what happened? They spent three years with, you know, major universities ignoring one of the three sections of the test, right. and AC, and ACT continued to gain. And by I, I forget what year it was, 2010, 2011, something like that. AC, ACT surpassed SAT in terms of administrations, and that's what will happen to LSAC if they don't right the ship. Because GRE will just outstrip them. You know, the antidote, the counter story to that would be, how did GMAT respond when the GRE started becoming a rival for business school? Because I don't think that it replaced the GMAT the way that it was predicted to. The GMAT's still going strong. And so I wonder if LSAC should have responded the way that GMAT did rather than the way that, uh, you know, ETS did with the SAT. Well, you know, there's a huge difference there because both GMAT and GRE were computer adaptive tests already, you know, and, and what GRE did was they were, they just started marketing the test of business schools. Um, you know, and of course, you know, there is a certain advantage to it because people just take one test, you know, for both programs. But thing about, uh, the, the GRE LSAT thing, I think, is very, very different. Um, you know, the when they started the computer adaptive nature of the GRE, easier to take it, you know, et cetera. And also, I don't think the GRE overlaps with the LSAT in the same way that at least there's a perception that the GRE overlap with the GMAT, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it does somewhat. The verbal section is somewhat similar. I mean, you know, we can take issue with the, the quantitative section, but the verbal section, I find many similarities. The verbal uh, GRE and the LSAT? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think reading, reading comp is not reading comp, but insofar as you have something to read and you have to make inferences about it and answer questions about it, it's there. The kinds of questions they're asking are different. The difficulty I think is different. I think the types of passages they choose are different, but you know, there are enough similarities such that you can say, okay, well, those are testing substantively the same thing. Um, do I think that the math section, the math section on the, on, the, on the GRE certainly is not the same as what we have on the LSAT. I think the more salient question is, is it relevant, right? Do uh, incoming lawyers need that math that is on the GRE? Is, is that an important skill for them to have and demonstrate? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that that's true. I think there is math that's necessary. Um, and as we've talked about in other podcasts, right, some of those math skills are tested on logical reasoning. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know that the GRE is a relevant, it, as relevant to test as the LSAT. The problem with the GRE math, I mean, unless it's changed since, you know, when I was doing this stuff, is I don't think the GRE math is a particularly good reasoning exercise. 
No, it's more of an algorithmic exercise. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not really analogous to say the LSAT logic games or something. But, you know, this is just about money and marketing, et cetera. And all they have to do is get enough schools to buy into the idea that it meets the criterion to be a valid and reliable admissions test, which is, I think, the language in the ABA directive. And I, I don't see what's to stop any school from just saying, sure, we'll take it. Why not? I mean, why would a school not take it? I, I don't know. Pressure, when... rankings. There, there is some internal policing in the industry. Not much, but some. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, they, they can't abandon all pretense of, of being scholarly. I, I think I recall reading, I may be wrong, but I thought I read that Harvard allows the GRE now. Isn't that correct? So, yeah, several top schools do. I mean, what do they have to lose? Harvard's not going to be accused of, of being a diploma mill. I think the, the schools that have more to lose are the ones fighting for, you know, to stay in the top tier. They can't. Oh, but it, it certainly legitimizes. It gives the sort of, you know, good testing seal of housekeeping to GRE. You know, one would think, but there hasn't been a, a consistent move toward it. So I still think that if you are not an elite school, you run a risk by doing that of, of people looking at that as a, a step down in quality, a, a, a reduction in your admission standards, basically. Yeah, but if you if you look if you look at the list, right? I think I think John, you're you're hitting it on the nose, right? It, you're talking about American, BC, BU, Brooklyn. Um, uh, Columbia, Cornell, Duke, um, Georgetown, Harvard, um, you know, uh, NYU, Northwestern. Um, all those schools take the GRE? All those schools will accept the GRE. Now, they, now, if you have an LSAT on record, most of them will not take your GR, GRE score after that. You have to do it in lieu of, not in addition to. But all of those schools will accept the GRE. This all happened in what? Four years, five years? I, I had no idea that it had expanded to that degree and in that sort of general reputation level of schools. Well, the yeah. percentage of students getting in with GRE scores is really low, though. So you could question the extent to which they're really offering admission based on that. It's experimental at this point, and they're treading with some caution. They yeah, might want to I, accept it, but you know. I wonder which I wonder which direction, right? Like I wonder if there just aren't that many prospective prospective law students that are taking it because they're worried about acceptability, right? The dam will break at some point. Well, here's how we know that the schools are directing this scarcity because they could say, if you have both scores, you tell us which one. You 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 know, we'll look at your highest one. We'll look at everything. The fact that they say, hey. Once you take the LSAT, it's over for the GRE. They, they're producing the scarcity that you're talking about. That's not the students who don't exist. It's the fact that they've taken both tests. Well, there's a gamesmanship, though. Take the GRE first. If you do well, use it for admissions. If not, take an LSAT. See, I think that the reason they're accepting the GRE, to be honest, is because they're trying to recruit students who are, are going after other graduate degrees and they don't want to burden them with an extra test. So they're saying, look, if you're going to apply to our PhD program in blah, 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 and you want to get a law degree too, 
we don't want to make it hard for you to do that. So I don't think they're truly accepting people with the GRE, but you know, my predictions are often wrong. So we'll see how, how that <laughs> plays out. Yeah. But that's my impression is that it's not a vehicle for admission to law school, not now. What's the perception well, in the LSAT study group? Have there been discussions on this topic? There, there are, yeah. And, and most often it's a question coming from people that are struggling, right? I got a 132 on my diagnostic. I'm still testing in the low 140s. Um, my dream is X school. What do you think about the GRE as an alternative? That's, that's usually the conversation. Right, that's a bad way to begin the, the discussion. Yeah, I couldn't improve my LSAT score, so I think I'll try the GRE instead. That's why I say, if you're applying to other grad programs and studying for the GRE independently, maybe it's viable, but to use that as... Well... Yeah, I, I had a, I, I have a, a family member who's a professor at Drexel in the joint program that's a psych JD program at Drexel, which is really well regarded. Um, that's, an, that's an interesting opportunity for you to take one test. Right. Right. So and so in that program, regard, it's a joint program. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that makes a ton of sense. I get that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, well, the LSAT is an important rite of passage in life, right? I mean, you know, the people who don't do the GRE are really depriving themselves of that, aren't they? I mean, you know, when they're 70 years old and people ask them to recount their lives, I mean, how can they say they've had a complete life if they haven't done the LSAT? They're worthy I, you of know, our moral condemnation, in my opinion. That's right. Podcasts <laughs> are a bad medium for you to see the look on my face right now as you say that. If but, you've ever uh, seen Shit's Creek, though, there's a... <laughs> There's a yeah. character in that that you guys can refer to for. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, no, look, I, I just had this conversation with my father-in-law last night, who's 75, and, and we were talking about uh, the LSAT, and he was, uh, you know, I was saying, look, I, I think this is a test you would find fascinating. I'd love to hear your take on, on these sort of deductive reasoning passages and the, you know, the way that they put together LR passages. I think it would be, it would be curious. And he was like, well, no, I'm, I'm too old to learn anything. <laughs> I, don't think I don't think it's learning anything new. It's just about your perspective. Now, look, I, I am of the mind that if you are headed toward law school and you come from a science and math background, there's an argument to be made that you should take a diagnostic GRE and just see. And if your GRE score is that much better than your LSAT score on a diagnostic level, maybe that's a path to go down. But other than that, there's no reason to steer away. You know, it's funny your advice because you said, okay, if you're a science or math student and what I was hearing in my head was you need to learn about argumentation and you should take the LSAT. I was going the complete opposite well, way with it. Don't take the GRE because there are skills that you can learn by studying for the LSAT that are helpful for law school and you won't learn those learning math algorithms. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? With the GRE, if the math skill is already there and you don't have to learn that already, right? Then it's just a matter of memorize the word lists, right? Get the vocabulary in shape and learn how to do reading comp. And then you don't have to go through all the, all the pain and suffering of the LSAT. And, and that's not this, I mean, you know my take on this. I think the LSAT is additive. I think it's good for you as you head to law school. Yeah, I that's think my point. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. But if the goal is only get into the law school of your dreams, I think there's a profile of student for whom the, the GRE is the better choice. You know, as a bar prep tutor, I strongly resist that. Get into the law school of your dreams sometimes means perform poorly, don't network well, don't of end course. up in the job you want, don't pass the bar exam, you know, et cetera. There's a whole, there's a whole but, trajectory. But now, Keith, now you're making sense, right? Why are we trying to make sense? <laughs> That's ridiculous. No, of course. I mean, look, if, we, if we're going to come at this from the point of view of, of lifetime educators and take somebody, you know, for, for, the, for the, the entire course of time from, from when we see them at, you know, junior year of college through the time at which they are, you know, professional lawyers and out enjoying their career, what do I want them to do? I want them to do it right. And it means those skills that are being tested on the LSAT are things that they should be learning you know, shoot, they should have learned them in high school. Those are things that we should be teaching our high school kids about argumentation. Well, what, about, what about running an LSAT prep program starting in the ninth grade? <laughs> 100%. Look, I did, I did mock trials starting in the seventh grade. I did I six do, years of mock trials. I have a, a reading seminar that I do with some uh, middle school kids and they're, they're upper level, hard to challenge. And I give them LSAT passages, I won't lie. And we, we discuss those and they have no idea what we're talking about half the time, but it's great fun to watch them struggle with it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. No, look, I, I think mock trials and debate are some of the best things you can do as a middle school and high school kid in terms of expanding the way you see the world. And anytime I've got a kid who's looking for a good extracurricular activity to do at, at 14, I tell them to go check out the mock trials piece. It's really so, so you were this this was in this uh, available in the school that you went to in the junior high middle, order? Middle, middle school and high school. I was doing there's a there's a United States National Mock Trials Association. Um, and my hometown happened to be really good at it. So my junior my junior high school went to the state tournament. Uh, when I was there and we lost to our high school and then, and then I went on to high school um, and we, we were in state finals three times and managed to win state finals my senior year and I went to the national tournament. My senior year. Well that might be a great place uh, for uh, you know people to move to then if they you know if they want their kids to, where do you want to share where that is? Sure this is in it, well I, I will say all of the suburbs of Boston um, have have very strong mock trials programs. It was a very it was a very strong culture. And no, look, this was in the in the in the nineties. Um, but I'm sure the the same is true. I happen to grow up in Newton, Massachusetts, but I know the you know the programs at Brooklyn and Brookline and Needham and Wellesley and and uh, the other towns around me were all really strong. And others of those went on to the to the national tournament as well. Mm -hmm. But. That's cool. We didn't have mock trial in El Paso, Texas, so I was in the stupid math club, and that's why I can do tests really well, and I'm not a great lawyer. I was also in the stupid math club. <laughs> I, I prefer I prefer I prefer mock trials in theater. So, um, if somebody were to do the GRE, then they they miss out on the Proctor U experience, I guess, right? Yeah. I what did. What did GRE do in the time that the Prometric centers were closed? I don't know. Yeah, I, I've been no, focused on LSAT and uh, I, I should know because MCAT presumably did something similar, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to, if you want to miss out on at-home at proctoring, GRE is certainly a, a, Look, you a, a can't, better option. 
you can't miss out. What do you think happened to the bar uh, students this past year? They all got probably their experience was far worse than the LSAT students because the LSAT, the stakes are a little lower and the test is administered more frequently. So at least a screw up could be remedied, you know, in a period of months. But the bar exam, it's six months in between bar exams. And so a bad experience there meant half a year of no license and not being able to pursue your job and yeah. having stigma about about uh, hiring. They, that, that crop of students really got a raw deal and they're, they're, it's not being addressed because it's a much smaller group than the, the number of LSAT takers. Right. Though I will say, and look, we, we've, been, we've been tough on LSAC and ProctorU. I think there are a couple of upsides. There are, like, you can look at it and you say, okay, first of all, there's a flexibility portion of things, which I think is good, especially given the, the number of alternative applicants, right? Having the ability to schedule your exam at any time during the day, on any day within a given window, I think it's far better than being told, no, you're taking it at 2.30 at this location that's 50 miles from your house because that's the only one that's available, right? That, that stuff stinks. And so I'm glad, I'm glad to have that flexibility for test takers, one. Um, you know, I think there's a part of this in terms of accountability that's better, right? If, and, and I don't know that they are doing this, but you know, were I to have an unlimited budget to design this software, I would make sure that they were collecting a lot of data about these administrations so that there's accountability uh, on the part of, of, of the proctors in case something does go wrong. What are they recording? What do we know about the administration when there's an issue at play? We say, my proctor told me that I couldn't do X when in fact I can. They go back and they watch the videotape. And it's confirmed and they say, yeah, the proctor did say that. And that was wrong. And so you are entitled. And the, and the third part, which follows directly from that, is that they have more opportunity to do immediate readministrations. We've got, uh, Keith and I have a student who is having an administration redo next week. She just took the test three days ago or whenever it was. Um, and there was an irregularity with her accommodations. And they told her she can take it again on the 23rd or the 26th or whatever day it is. She doesn't have to wait three months. She, she can take it next week because they can just throw her in another pool. If they've got four or five tests at their disposal in the pool to administer to this group in June, she took test form B. And so this time she'll take test form D. Great, no problem, no skin off their back. So uh, there are some upsides here, but they need a huge overhaul in terms of the way they train people and the way, and the way that this this software works so that it well, doesn't let's be break those down. I mean, I, this is the second or third time I've heard you comment on the, the, uh, the bedside manner, if you will, right. Of the, uh, the people <laughs> interacting. Let's talk a little bit about that. What do you know about that? Oh, what do we know? Only anecdotal, right? I mean, we haven't been there. We can't say for sure. I've heard. Well, there are some unhappy people. And most yeah. people seem to be happy, but when things do go wrong, it seems to be multiple things going wrong at once and, and uh, a kind of rigidity in the proctor, an unwillingness to, you know, to reconsider or to bring someone else into the situation to, to intervene. So it, it's like there are very few problems, but when problems do occur, 
they explode into a- So there's no such thing as a small problem if there's a problem. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't seem like you can escalate or escalate easily, um, which is a problem. And there's no opportunity to set, say, hey, let's press pause while we discuss this. It's like, right. no, Your you're fucking right. Well, what are All they right. doing? They're filming you the whole time? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, I think they're recording it. Yeah, that's, but the proctors really are awesome. not are not interactive the whole time. And one of the problems that one of our students had is that he tested with accommodations. And so it was a long testing experience to begin with. The test took five hours or so. And then the proctor didn't come back after the test to complete the process. He was told, you can't leave the room. You can't log out until it's official. We come back and we give you the okay. And so the proctor didn't come back didn't come back. I mean, hours this student waited. Another four or five hours, he was in the test, you know, being filmed for a total of 10 or more hours. And I mean, had to take some drastic measures to accommodate the, the demands of nature during that 10 hours. So it was, it, I mean, like the, the experience is beyond unprofessional. That is a kind of experience that we can that we can rightly compare to to things that occur in prisons or in torture situations where you aren't allowed to leave a confined environment for a very long period of time or at the risk of your your future profession at stake that's yeah. too much that is not a fair thing to uh, you know to put in the hands of an untrained proctor or an unaccountable proctor you and, and the, wor the worst part about this, and, and you know, there, we don't have confirmation about the degree to which this has happened, but it's very clear that the proctors are proctoring more than one test taker at a time. Seems which clear, means, right? Yeah, that seems very clear, which means that there's no immediate access, right? If you have an issue, you have to wait, right? And if the issue is dire, right? If there's something that, that's an emergency that's happened, or if there's something highly irregular that's happened, you have to wait. If your software is glitching and you can't access the next question, too bad on you, that's your problem. And there's, no, there's no way to immediately escalate to another person or to another situation. Of course, you can't have other means of communication in the room, right? You can't have your phone, you can't have, so there's no way to get in touch with anybody. And Proctor U has taken control of your computer for that time. <laughs> you, can't, you can't unlock it. And even before the test begins, there are issues. You have to have them authenticate your computer and verify that it's adequate for the exam. And that process can be difficult. Some people need memory upgrades or specific settings to be changed so that their computer can qualify. And so we've had reports of students who think they're in the clear and then try to log on to the test. And it says, no, that computer's no good, you know, and you've got five minutes to figure out what you're going to do about it. Luckily, the student who reported this to us had a backup laptop and had problems with ProctorU in the past and was kind of prepared for an unexpected contingency. But, you know, had she not had that, she would have probably had to sit out and retake three more months down the road. Yeah. You know, uh, LSAT's going to have to compete against GRE on this level. Yeah, it's like customer service and professionalism. Yeah, as well. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it because, you know, the more of these stories, the problem with this is that 
you know, the consequences are so severe for those who it actually affects, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, well, you know, which is probably true that it's a very small percentage of people who are damaged by this, but, you know, the ones who are damaged are really significantly damaged and it goes way, we all know it goes way beyond the experience of the day, you know, because they all sort of prep and, you know, eagerly anticipate this moment in their lives. And, and pay for that prep. Well, that too, yeah. yeah. And, and look, there's there's an equity and equality issue here too, right? They, they, you know, what if you're a one computer household and you've got three kids in school, right? They'll send you a tablet, but then what if you don't have sufficient Wi-Fi? Well, they'll send you to a hotel. Well, what if you don't have childcare or can't afford that? Child? Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. There's no I, doubt. Of course, so that's an issue. That's an issue, you know, regardless. But there's no question. There's no that, question this, that because this, this it assumes additional costs, right? Yeah. Oh. I, had a student, I had a student earlier this year who, who was, um, w did not have a permanent address. And that became an enormous problem. For mm -hmm. her. He was on the move through, through, the, through the Southwest, um, was living in a mobile home and had sort of spotty Wi-Fi and had to find Wi-Fi here and wi find Wi-Fi there and ended up having to get the hotel accommodation, which is fine. But then she had to pay for all this other stuff to accommodate the rest of her life in order for her to take the day out to do it. And she could really only afford to do it once. Yeah. You know, even when they give you a free retake, you know, I mentioned before, pay for the prep but that means that they aren't going to be prepped for the next one unless they can maintain their own studies right. or continue to pay for prep so it That's ends up costing much more than just oh, the it's cost terrible. of the test it's, it's absolutely terrible i mean they've always had a policy as far as i can tell of when people complain about you know even in the old days you know when people went to a big room you know people complain about the test they just get a free test basically but, you know, that doesn't mean anything in the lives of most people. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I got a re when I took the GRE and this was back in 06 or something and it was at Prometric and I had an irregularity during my test um, that that got in my way. And they said, well, you know, you can take a retest here, you, you know, reschedule it whenever you want. And, you know, for me, it wasn't a big deal at the time. I, I wasn't under pressure, but given given what is clearly the experience of so many students right now taking this test, trying to get through this process in, 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 in time now and what we're, what's happening in the world now, the, the, the prospect of saying, well, April was my last shot for this cycle, putting it off another cycle, that, that's not an option for me, no, right? Of course, of course, it's not an option. What do you think, as we come to the end here, um, what kind of training do you think they need to be giving the proctors in terms of how they need to behave or not behave? I think LSAC needs its own proctors. Like they hire people for this who are irregular workers or do an administration or two and, and don't understand the test and aren't repeat players in the, in the business and, I don't know how they could develop the kind of relationships to have a consistent, you know, almost like the referees in the NFL, but that's what I think they need. They need their own crop of proctors who understand their rules, their students, the importance of this test, and who aren't also proctoring university tests and whatever other, you know, dozen other things that are going on that day at ProctorU. I, I also think, I also think there needs to be some 
some accommodation made for blipping the screen off and pausing the timer. I, I think without that, uh, you know, you're, th there are just too many, there are too many things they can't account for, that they can't plan for, um, to hold students and test takers accountable for the shortcomings of their own software is unreasonable. So to talk to the pro proctor, you think you need a minute or two? You need, yeah, you need to be able to, and, you know, and maybe there's Exercise a limit. Exercise a timeout. You can do it. Yeah, exactly. And that you can have a timeout, maybe you have two per test, right? Um, and that, and there's the option to escalate. Right, and that option needs to be there as well. Um, and, and I think, you know, I don't know what the proctors have in their hands, but if there is not a training binder and there's not some form of, of accreditation for the, for the proctor about how they're supposed to go about doing this, they'd better get that in place as well. Uh, I think it's fairly clear that if they do, it's pretty minimal. You would agree? Yeah, yes. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is interesting. And, you know, I've been telling students for many, many years, and I think that this advice is even more important now, is that you should never count on a single attempt at the LSAT. Always count on something going wrong and needing one or two retakes. And I was telling people that before we had digital issues, just because their own personal proclivities might break down on test day. So now it's even more important to build into your into your yeah. expectations, the fact that you need to take your first attempt with enough time for one or possibly even two retakes before the end of your target cycle. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's always been good advice, but I think it's definitely heightened now, you know, with the whole, the whole Proctor U thing. All right, well, this has been great. And uh, we, maybe we can draw this one to a, a soft landing for today, but as always, um, could you please tell people where to get in touch with you, your coordinates? Sure. Uh, so you can reach me at nexusacademics.com uh, or on Facebook. You can search for Nexus Academics or Jacob Feldman. Um, Keith, you're at what? At Last Bar Academy on Facebook. Um, and then uh, both of us can be reached at triplereview.online um, if you're interested in um, tutoring in our classes. Uh, in our other product, check us out there and always reach out via email or Facebook if you have any questions. And certainly you can meet both Keith and Jake at the Facebook LSAT study group. That's groups LSAT study group. So this has been great. Thank you very much. Till next time then.